Welcome to the Gasps from a Dying Art Form podcast, where I talk about the history and philosophy of tap dance and things that are tap dance adjacent. If you like the show, please become a supporter on Patreon. Half of all profits go to the Mad Rhythms Tap Academy at the Harold Washington Cultural Center in the historic Bronzeville neighborhood of Chicago's South Side. Hello, my name is Tristan Bruins, and welcome to the first episode of the Gasps from a Dying Art Form podcast, or GFADAF for short, or GFADAF for even shorterer. This is a podcast talking about the history and philosophy of tap dance. I'm not sure who asked for it, but ooh, you got it. It's so interesting reading and learning about all of the places tap dance has been and how integral it has been over hundreds of years and all over the world. And, and that's not hyperbolism. Uh, this is the first episode of the podcast. It is titled, Is Tap Dance a Dying Art Form? Appropriate. So let's talk about the name of uh, the podcast first, Gasps from a Dying Art Form. Now, if you've spent enough time in tap shoes, then you definitely heard this statement before. Oh, you tap dance? Well, that's great. You know it's a dying art form. But they never tell you what it is dying of. Have you noticed that? Like, they know it's dying, but like, well, why is it dying? Don't people usually ask you why something's dying? Like, oh, you know, this guy's dying. Oh, what happened? Oh, uh, you know, got his foot run over by a... a, a Pickup truck. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, but not with tap dance. They just be like, oh, it's dying. Well, that's too bad. Don't care why. Uh, people seem to know a lot about the dying of tap dance, but never quite have an answer for what is causing the death of tap dance. So what is it that ails tap dance? And how long has it been dying for? Has there been an injury? Some kind of infection? A poison? Well, what could it be sabotaging? Is there any hope of remission? To discover the cure, we must first diagnose whatever it is that makes people think that tap dance is a dying art form. Now, I've heard people say that uh, it was the movie theaters that killed vaudeville, where, which was kind of like the incubation setting for tap dance, right? So it was the movie theaters, they killed vaudeville, thus killing tap. Uh, but there's obviously so many movies with tap dance in them that that's, that's kind of rubbish, don't you think? Or maybe it was the decline of jazz as the popular form of music in tap dance. And tap dance just couldn't handle the transition from large to small spaces. To which uh, I might reply that tap dance has a healthy history of being developed in a... Uh, Small, tiny watering holes in crummy dives and affluent nightclubs. The idea of television being responsible for the decline of tap 
or at least a contributor, is a neat one. Planned routines that get sharpened by years on the road were now used up weekly, and the quick turnaround just, just wore a lot of tap dancers out. I could see that. Maybe the most popular assumption seems to be the invention of rock and roll music, which didn't jive with tap dance sensibilities. So they say. This sentiment was immortalized in the 1979 documentary No Maps on My Taps, directed by George T. Nuremberg, when legendary dancer John Bubbles Sublet blames rock for the drought of gigs that his protege, Chuck Green, is facing. Bubbles says that if Green is creating new steps, well then he must be working all the time. But Green says that is not the case. Bubbles guesses, you think it's the rock and roll? And Green agrees, yeah, I, I think it was the rock and roll. Although it seems that, that Green uh, would agree with whatever his mentor says, as mentees often do. It really is a great scene, and I've heard Green being described as inhabiting his younger self when talking to Bubbles, the ultimate mentor. I'm not, I don't really take that scene as the proof that it was rock and roll that killed it. Is there any other proof that rock and roll might have been uh, what killed tap dance or attempted to kill it? Well, yes, there is. Also in No Maps, Howard Sandman Sims even agrees with another gentleman outside the front of the Apollo Theater in Harlem when he also cites rock as the reason ticket sales are low. Because they're not booking the type of acts that were at the time playing on the radio which is like rock music and like the pop R&B of the time. Uh, the next, for some reason, the next generation of tap dancers didn't pick up on it. So Sims would go on to repeat this sentiment a decade later in the 1989 feature film Tap, directed by Nick Castle and starring Gregory Hines, Sammy Davis Jr., and a, a cater of who's who of the tap dance world. In Tap, Sandman Sims says... It was rock and, and roll that killed us. The others, the other mature huffers uh, in the living room of, I forget who, I think maybe it was Sammy Davis's character's uh, as little Moe's living room, but the other huffer, the other mature huffers adamantly disagree. But Sims continues, saying, rock and roll is still killing us. You want to go dance to that junk? The majority of the mature huffers' reaction to, to Sims' comments is a jury Day at Michonne, that uh, the theory of rock and roll killed tap dance. Just by watching that scene, it kind of makes me feel like like the idea that rock and roll uh, had a hand in the attempted murder of tap dance deserves fringe status at best. But far be it from me to contradict any of the masters. But when they say rock and roll, I kind of believe that they mean it as a euphemism for like a paradigm shift in the cultural zeitgeist circa 1960, and are using rock and roll to stand in for a, a range of shifts in tastes and trends. You can't blame these men for being a bit crotchety. I mean, they're, they're all super hip, even in their later years. But what happens when what is hip is no longer hip? You dig? Like saying you dig at the end of a sentence, for example. The decline in movie and staged musicals, a source of work for tap dancers, also repeatedly, or, or not repeatedly, well, repeatedly and rapidly, which was the original word I was supposed to read, 
but rapidly and repeatedly declined in the 1950s. Well, capitalists dressed as white producers, dressed as capitalists, were not keen to spare the expense of adapting an old formula to the new trends. Tap dancers are fond of saying, we can dance to any kind of music, from classical to hip-hop. So what makes rock and roll the pariah of the tap dance world? After all, it's just appropriated blues music, right? I mean, in fact, uh, it's kind of a weak argument to say that tap dance could not survive through a, a period of appropriation. Black art and culture is routinely appropriated with every generation. See uh, the Stephen Foster melodies that he ripped off the enslaved plantation workers. Joel Sweeney, right, uh, credited with inventing, you know, blue bluegrass guitar, learning banjo from an enslaved black teacher. Elvis and black gospel. Robert Plant and Chuck Berry guitar riffs. Instead of suppressing the black voice, these appropriations often act as a catalyst for the next evolution of forms of expression. And I doubt that a musical or cultural shift is enough to demolish a tried and true black art form like tap dance. Historically, that has not been the case. I see no reason why tap dance could not evolve to work with rock music, mostly because it already, already has been done to great effect, although it has been mostly in Australia. None of these theories do it for me, to be honest. Or maybe all of them do do it for me. <laughs> sorry, do do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe all of them uh, do it for me. It's more than likely that due to a number of complex and random factors inexplicably happening at the same time and beyond anyone's control. Uh, but people just love picking one thing. And as much as I disagree with picking one thing, to describe a, a major cultural paradigm shift? That's what I'm gonna do. I wanna participate. Here we go. The one thing, this, this answer is, is, is wrong, but I think it's the best one out of all of them. Check it out. I think that it was a slow poison that afflicted tap dance, administered much earlier than the 1950s or 1960s. And it took hold and festered over decades, until the people dancing just got rotten inside, and it was just too much to bear. And that led to a period of rest and recuperation. And maybe that was necessary. Or as the great, the great lull, as it is known, right? Let's say from like, like the 50s, mid-50s to uh, the late 1970s, up until the tap dance renaissance. More on the tap dance renaissance in a future episode. Heather Cornell is going to beat my ass for that one, you guys, so pray for me. She absolutely could beat my ass, too. Like, I have no... I would. I would, might even I might even try to put up a fight, but what's the point? I mean, she's just going to destroy you. Anyways, the infection that led to the slow poison of tap dance, I believe, personally, subjectively, was first contracted in 1935 in the feature film... The Littlest Rebel, when adolescent debutante, played by Shirley Temple, asks her servant, Uncle Billy, played by Bill Robinson. Shirley Temple asks him, what's a war? And Robinson replies, well, a war is a lot of soldiers in battle where men kill each other with guns. Temple then asks, why? 
And Robinson replies with, Seems to me like, Honey, no one knows why. I hear a white gentleman saying there's a man up north who wants to free the slaves. Temple naively asks, What does that mean, free the slaves? And Robinson says, well, I don't know what it means myself, and leaves the room. And Temple, looking inquisitively just off camera, mutters under her breath, It's funny, isn't it? Except no! No, in hindsight, it is not funny at all. I don't, I don't think it was actually funny then either. Well, at least it wasn't funny to... Maybe it was funny to a certain group of people that the movie was kind of made for. I mean, this was in 1935, exactly 70 years after the end of the Civil War and the passage of the 13th Amendment that freed black people from servitude in the United States of America. People knew what the cause of the, the stinking Civil War was. I'm, so intri- I'm trying so hard not to swear. I'm really going to try. But they knew, right? They knew in 1935. They knew it in, in 1861, the reason of the Civil War. 1861, when this movie is supposed to be taking place, literally on the day the Civil War starts off. So, you know, it's this scene, I think, that leads to the decline of tap dance because this is the scene, I believe, the exact scene, or at least the most important scene that leads to Bill Robinson being labeled as an Uncle Tom. Now, an Uncle Tom, for anyone not familiar with the derogatory label, refers to a black man who is excessively obedient or servile to white people. And Bill Robinson is considered one of the main archetypes of this persona. A lot of people credit it to his history of playing servant characters in the movies, but I blame it specifically on this movie and especially on this exchange between Robinson and Temple. It's just so insultingly naive, and it's tied to Robinson's legacy like a parachute to a person running backwards. I believe this is the role that labeled Bill Robinson the most famous Uncle Tom in history, and by extension, denotes the very act of tap dancing as an Uncle Tom-like activity in the modern uh, consensus. It's that racist poison administered every time this movie and hundreds like it are shown that is the source of, you know, tap dancers dying art form trope. And let's be clear, I don't want to cancel Shirley Temple, but I do want to have it in context. And to do that, I think you have to know where the term Uncle Tom comes from and why it exists at all. To really get an idea for the origin of the Uncle Tom caricature, you should really read Harriet Beecher Stowe's abolitionist novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. The term Uncle Tom is, in my opinion, one of the greatest misappropriations in literary history. If you've read Uncle Tom's Cabin, or listen to the audiobook, as I have, because it's very, very long. Every character represents a caricature of ideologies of the time. The brutish, uh, master-pleasing Sambo. The cruel white master, Simon Legree. The rebellious runaway in Eliza. The moderate white master, Arthur Shelby. A stereotypical, learned, liberal abolitionist in Augustine St. Clair, and the tragic blank slate child Topsy. 
The two most recognizable characters, however, are Uncle Tom, and uh, who is an enslaved black man who is driven by morality, a Christian morality, and little Ava, daughter to the St. Clairs, who is a very young, incredibly articulate child, whose innocence and pious morality is both commendable and eye-rollingly too good to be true. <laughs> Tom and Eliza establish a strong friendship, relating to one another through their deep devotion to a Christian God. Although Eliza dies an early death, she left Tom with a reassurance that piety is the way to go, which strengthens his resolve enough to finally disobey a command from Master Legree to kill another enslaved black person, choosing to die piously rather than to subvert to Legree's demand to act immorally and lose his place in heaven. He'll do anything the master says, not because he wants to, but because he's just trying to get through the day and not cause any problems in anybody. But he only does that because he knew he had a God on his side and only disobeyed when presented with an action that would diminish him under the view of God. So he could tolerate anything, any type of injustice put on him because the ultimate reward is in heaven. So he can pretty much do anything that doesn't, uh, you know, contradict the will of his Christian God. So over the years, the meaning of an Uncle Tom has changed from that of a stoic, Christ-like figure to that of a black person who is simply willing to go along with whatever a white authoritarian tells them to. And what is really messed up is that we know why. After collecting the chapters of the story, they were originally published in, like, magazines. As a lot of books are, right? Like, Arthur C. Clarke, same idea. A lot of science fiction stories, Stephen King stories, I believe are, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but they're in these individual magazines, and eventually she collected them into the book that now we know is Uncle Tom's Cabin. But as soon as she did that, Beecher Stowe relinquished creative control over the insane number of reprintings that uh, this book would receive in a in a really short time. I mean, they they were this book was passed around all over the world, and she did not get the money for this. She just sold the rights. Well, I mean, she didn't know that it was going to be one of the most important novels in Western literature. You can't really blame her for that, but you just you just wish she wouldn't have done it. Plays were staged featuring white men playing each character, including the enslaved men women, and children. In blackface, of course, and the story was altered, and the abolitionist tilt of the narrative was often removed and replaced with anti-abolitionist sentiments. And a sexy tap-dancing Topsy, still played by a white guy in blackface. So not only did they get the character wrong, but it, it, it's pretty much not the original character. Anyways, so if the director and cast favored a racist comedic retelling of this incredibly sad drama, well, they would change it to that, making the strong, resilient, loving Uncle Tom into a dweebish, subservient brute and the butt of the joke. In The Littlest Rebel, Robinson and Temple all but inhabit the characters of Tom and Eliza to a T, and skews towards the less accurate minstrel retellings of Beecher Stowe's original work. Now, can you imagine what it must have been like for black people in 1935? 
about halfway through the Jim Crow era, to hear one of the leaders of the black community say that he is confused about the reasons for the Civil War. I cannot, and that's the point. As a white person myself, an incredibly pale white person, I might add, it is bad enough hearing other white people muddle up the reasons for the Civil War, but I can't even come close to imagining what it must have been like for the black populace of the United States to hear such like ignorant statements coming from Robinson. I mean, I know Robinson is playing a character, but his willingness to say such thing is absolutely open to criticism, and perhaps he wouldn't have uh, if not for things like you know his crippling gambling debts, uh, which is by no means an excuse. Here's where I forgot to add something to my script, because uh, most of this is a script, you see. You absolutely cannot criticize Bill Robinson for taking these roles and saying what he did, because well, racism is, 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 is confusing and frustrating, and, and this was a man who loved to work. Uh, yeah, he had his gambling debts, but he also was uh, an inc- incredibly altruistic. I mean, he just gave away money to people who needed it like it was water to a thirsty man in the desert. So no, you can't absolutely criticize him. I meant to change that paragraph, and I'm reading it now, but, you know, one thing about reading these things is tricky is that I write something, and then I read something else that changes my mind because there's so much stuff to read. Let's be clear. I don't want to cancel Bill Robinson. I do not... uh, I don't want to put him into uh, a context... And I don't I have no problem celebrating him as an astoundingly important human individual with all the highs and lows that humanity has to offer. And it's not like he wrote the movie or anything. I mean, he's just doing his job while many of his contemporaries are either dead, dying, or fading into obscurity. Perhaps Robinson's dealing with some kind of like existential, metaphysical type of something going on in his head, like some kind of existential dread. He's towards the later years of his life. That kind of makes sense. Anyways, I'm, I don't mean to overanalyze uh, Bill Robinson's role here. I really mean to overanalyze the role itself. So let's do that. Even the camera work used on Robinson stacked the deck against him for future generations. The full face Grinning close-up often used during tap dance scenes in film is both annoying to the tap dancers trying to pick up steps, but may also have been a conniving manipulation by Hollywood to tame and domesticate black dancers. And women as well. These smiling close-ups are meant to assure us that Robinson's character, while performing very complex and athletic tap dance choreography, is at the same time wearing the grinning mask of the childlike minstrel character who is content in his role as servant and slave. Margaret Morrison, in her article for Dance Research Journal titled Tap and Teeth, Virtuosity, and the Smile in the Films of Bill Robinson and Eleanor Powell, analyzes another famous scene of Robinson's uh, in The Littlest Rebel. Morrison writes, Robinson's movies and the close juxtaposition of tap and teeth demand that the viewer stays in that moment of rupture that we keep both the grotesque horrors of Jim Crow and the delights of tap dance in our line of vision, and that we remember that tap virtuosity and the terrible pleasures of minstrelsy are interlocked. The scenes of Robinson's solo in The Littlest Rebel and his 
very famous new way to go up stairs duet with Temple in the in the Little Colonel are noted as having an incredibly detrimental effect on how black citizens in North America viewed Robinson, branding him the ultimate Uncle Tom character, and passed that negative opinion of Robinson onto their children and their children's children. Co-founder of the Chicago Tap Dance Company, Mad Rhythms, and producer of this podcast, uh, also a black rights activist, Brill Barrett, has even mentioned to me, personally, that when growing up, he too only knew Robinson as a grinning Uncle Tom figure. It was only later, after studying tap history and speaking with some of the leaders of contemporary tap dance, that Barrett changed his opinion of Robinson. Barrett, of course, is steeped in tap dance every minute of every day, and even he had to unlearn his negative view of Robinson. So what hope does uh, the black youth who is not immersed in tap dance history have of overcoming the stereotypical view of tap dance? What hope do any of us have, then, if this is the popular view? Well, it's simple. Not much. There's not much hope. Finally, I have an example of the kind of hate towards tap dance that I'm talking about. I present to you the Black on Black Cinema Podcast, a program that features hosts Jay, Terrence, and Micah, who, of course, black themselves, analyzing, interpreting, and critiquing cinema made by black filmmakers. I came across Black on Black Cinema when gathering reactions after first watching Spike Lee's 2000 joint bamboozled. The way that Jay, Micah, and Terrence describe tap dance is enraging at first, and then deeply saddening the more you think about it. I mean, these guys, as far as I can tell, are super knowledgeable about art, specifically film, and have the acumen to run a successful podcast program that is currently at 184 episodes as of this Gasps airing. Their opinions seem genuine, honest, educated, and heartfelt, which is why it is so heartbreaking to someone who has gotten so much out of tap dance and how they cannot break away from the visual of Bill Robinson in his Hollywood servant role. You you know what? I might as well just play it for you. This is an excerpt uh, from uh, the bamboozled episode of the Black on Black Cinema podcast, available on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube with video, and wherever popular podcasts are found. Roll the clip! Actually, a bit of a warning. This audio clip contains language and ideas that may be upsetting to some people, which is it's very tough on a snowflake like me. And maybe a snowflake like you, too. What I mean to say is proceed with caution. Here's the clip. I never liked that, Jason. No? No. It look... It... Okay. <laughs> this is again. This is gonna seem. It's gonna seem fucked up. Um, sorry to tap dancing fans and Charlie Baltimore fans. Um, while I appreciate tap dance, and look, I really like uh, tap. I, I know exactly what you're about to say because I feel the same way. Like I, I appreciate it. It's a very. It's it's an art form. You take yeah, some skill. It's some Mr. Bojangles type <laughs> shit. No, I can't. I look. When I see look, when I see I, black people tap dance, I just feel like there's a hat next to them and they're dancing for coins, for, or, or like like they're dancing for white male or like white people approval. Like yes, yeah, some balls. Like ah, yeah, I, I like, don't. I just a little soft shoe. Like come on, man, don't. I don't like it. 
I just don't. Like, man. come on, dog. Just do do the running man. Like something. Like, come on, man. Someone with some aggression behind it. <laughs> I mean, God damn. I mean, you could make the argument about dancing in general, but not tap dancing. That's just that fucking thing about tap dancing, man. I, can't I know it. It ain't fair. Nah, yeah. Look, it ain't fair. I look, can't give up. Look, I like. Look, that being said, I love tap with Gregory Hines. Like that yeah. scene at the end where they're fucking dancing on that fucking moon. Like that shit is fucking awesome. I love that scene. But I'm like. Uh, where's Mr. Bojangles, dude? Like, mm-mm. Uh, mm. Sorry, man. Look, slavery has fucked black people. We can't enjoy shit. Like, we can't We can't even enjoy chicken without being, like, eating it in public and shit. Like, you can't. Like, when I go to this one spot, I always got to get the fried chicken sandwich, and I'm like, I feel, I feel slightly bad about it. But then I'm like, fuck these that white people. It's fucking delicious. It's delicious. And then you see all the other white people with the same say, fuck you. Yeah. I'm like, is it good? Is it good? And they're yeah. like, yeah, it's good. I'm like, I know. We're coming together. Everyone loves chicken. We do. But yeah, <laughs> Micah, tell us about why you think tap dancing is for slaves. Um, <laughs> the way that, the way that, like, it's, like, it'd be one thing, like. See, if, I like, knew he had that feeling too. He's trying to keep quiet. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. It would be one Not thing. You would be Terrence and I fucking burn for this <laughs> Look, shit. Hey, like, yeah, I mean, I think it's a beautiful art form, but you two are also like It would assholes. be one thing if tap dancing, like, looked better, right? But it's like, 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 it's still got the, oh, hey, hey, all right. I like that. And look, if you're listening to this, you need to go to our YouTube page and see that shit. Like, that shit was magical. Like, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't look cool, right? It doesn't. It, yeah, nobody, look. It looks slavish. It, right. <laughs> look, man, I'm It sorry. looks like you got two spoons in your hand. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, by gonna, the way, playing spoons, not acceptable for black people. No. We're gonna no, we letters. can't do it. I'm sorry. I, What's I'm, that? Hey, we're going to give fucking letters. I apologize. Look, I, no, look. I don't apologize. I just, right. that's just the way <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like us. Alvin uh, Ailey ain't tap dancing. Yeah. Like, they don't teach tap dance at that school, do they? They, they might. They might, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, but we have to learn about history also. We have to learn about slavery. Back, that don't mean... Backpedal, back nigga. Back slaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like, it, like, it's so... But it is, it is so hilarious because, like, it does feel that way. Like, it really does. You're just like, this is... I'm like, that shit is really cool, but I... Like, and that's look, the thing is when I watch that dance, I'm like, oh, that was awesome. Right. Like, but then at the same time, I'm like, don't, don't do that. Like, don't you have white friends to do it? Like, they have them do it. Like, it's fine. I'll just like, have a mix. Like, can't you? Yeah, like, give me, give me a fifty-fifty. I don't, don't want to see like just all black people tap dancing. Like, throw a white person in there with them. Like, it's the one time, like, it's the one time, like, appropriation would be okay. Like, why don't y'all just take it? Like, just, <laughs> you go and take it. Take it. We all right. We all right. Some Asian people in there. I, I need something. I can't just have man tan doing this shit in blackface. <laughs> this is un- this is unnecessary. I don't like this shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That's how I feel about it. It is so funny because nobody like really like I when I was you know going over this movie, I thought about that and I was like, am I gonna say that? I was like, I'm not gonna say that. And then you brought up, I was like, I have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it. And you just do because it's true. Like, look, if you're a black person, there's no way you haven't thought about that. There's no fucking way you watch that and you didn't hear. You know, that fucking Mr. Bojangle song, like, playing in the background. If you haven't thought about it before, you think about it now. <laughs> and you'll never <laughs> not think about it when you see it. <laughs> Shit. You they can't help it. Tap dancing is slavery, yo. <laughs> if slavery was a dance move, tap dancing would be it. Now, if you watch the, the actual video on YouTube, you can see the part where Micah does his impersonation of a tap dancer. It is with Robinson's grinning mouth, 
and elbows raised high in akimbo, his shoulders swinging broadly back and forth while he bops his head up and down. An overt Robinson pantomime. No wonder kids in 1935 did not grow up to be tap dancers in 1965. After seeing yet another industry being built again around stock minstrel characters. Now larger and more popular than ever. It makes me have to agree with Paul Draper when he said, I can't believe tap dance stood a chance at all. Well, anyways, that is my theory. If I am allowed only one. Which, again, there's not only one, but if there can be, you understand. I mean, how many innovators may there have been during those decades of decline? Black people became disgusted with tap dance, and without new black influence, the white people found it kitschy and a novelty. You gotta check out Amiri Baraka's book, Black Music, as a reference to why it's problematic to something that was called black music, or black dance, or negro music, or negro dance, or, you know, every other word that I don't, that hurts my soul to say, and then have it turned into America's dance. Thank goodness for the people that kept tap dance alive during those trying times. It is thanks to them, breathing in new life, that kept tap dance from becoming yet another gasp from a dying art form. Join the conversation at facebook.com backslash gasps from a dying art form. And thanks for listening. Respect the dance. Now it is time for the Tap Dance Podcast Roundup. All right, welcome to the Tap Dance Podcast Roundup, where we look at what is going on in the other Tap Dance podcasts. This is not current. This is kind of just me going through the back catalog and curating uh, episodes I think that are worth listening to. On the Tap Love Tour, host Travis Knights recently released a compilation video that directly ties into this guest episode uh, inadvertently and looks at the view of tap dance being an Uncle Tom activity in the eyes of black people. This is a video presentation and can be found at Tap Love Tour uh, Facebook's page. In a post dated October 8th, it is amazing. Check it out. And then go over to the Tap Love Tour podcast at Spotify, Apple, any place podcasts are found um, for the, the episode that kind of ties to it. But I think you got to see the video first. On episode 7 of Lost in the Shuffle podcast, host Hillary Marie... I swear she used to have a last name. It was Mitchell... Well, whatever. Uh, Hillary Marie discusses tap floors uh, that she has had installed in her personal studio. It's very interesting, helpful, and explained in a way that even I can understand it. T. Brun says, check it out. Keeping with the floor theme... Rick Oslin, in episode 2 of Have Tap Shoes, Will Travel, discusses tap floor surfaces and miking and recording options. If you know, uh, if, well, if you don't know Rick, he has been continuously producing his own work for a long time and comes with a whole lot of experience. What plywood is best for tap on a budget? Check out episode 2 of Have Tap Shoes, Will Travel, for the answer. Hint, it rhymes with... 
Finally, in episode four of the, uh, the Real Talk Tap Talks, host Nico Rubio steps aside and presents a rare re-airing of a conversation by Jason Samuel Smith and Derek Grant about the current state of tap dance, semantics, life, universe, everything. Not to be missed. As soon as I heard it, I immediately took down Hoofer from my Facebook about page. Affecting real world through podcast. Real talk, tap talk. Well, that does it for the first episode of the Guffa Daft podcast. Thank you for listening, and again, respect the dance. Say the young lover said to a time step. I said I know all three. Say the young lover kicked me in the head. Let his left foot set me free. Can't you see? All his history is killing me. What is up with Robert Tappas in White Stream? I know it's hard to grasp, but it's gas from a dying art form. Gas from a dying art form. <laughs>
I mean, that's just a wrong comment.